0: Hey everybody, and welcome to the Coffee and Code Cast, live from Seattle's Pioneer Square district. This is the Coffee and Codecast, a weekly live-stream tech podcast where we talk about neither coffee or code. And I'm Kyle Johnson, and I'm Mike Sheehan. Today on the cast,
1: an exciting topic to cover. This is from MIT's Technology Review: Bill Gates' ten breakthrough technologies. So we're going to get into that a little bit. Uh, follow up on some. Uh, Show notes, and I'm sure Tesla news is probably in here somewhere, Kyle, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Well,
0: yeah, maybe maybe some Tesla news. Excellent. I don't want to give anything away.
1: We're going to spend a lot of our time on this breakthrough technology piece. It's really cool, a lot of good stuff in here. So uh, thanks for joining, and send us your questions.
0: Right on. Well, uh, let's start right off with uh, some interesting news here, actually. In the past week, I just added this to the notes. Maybe you haven't seen this yet or not. But uh, Mike joined my team here at the office.
1: Fuck, man. Are you my boss now?
0: Uh, well, I'm not your manager. Oh, okay. That's so, good. I mean, I can't really, I, mean, I can tell you what to work on, but I really can't tell you what to do.
1: I appreciate that. That's good. <laughs> That's kind of how I like the arrangements to that go. <laughs> That's good.
0: How's, how, how, how's it going so far? Am I the overbearing <laughs> asshole manager? Like,
1: hit me straight. Are you, are, I was going to ask you the same question. So am I Yes. the grumpy old man? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's been a little rough transition for me, but it's been good. It's been good I like it but it's been fucking rough it's been a little difficult Kyle
0: we had a quite a conversation before the show and actually I wish we would have been recording it because we had a really good conversation about kind of all the new guys that are on the team and all the new energy that they're bringing and that sort of thing and uh, it's a really exciting time to be here but it's also uh, in some respects a little bit of a frustrating time especially for somebody who's new to the project learning all these new technologies uh, learning. Uh, a bunch of different things that, that, that you've got, had no exposure to in the past. So well, That's
1: that's one of the joys of being a full stack developer. And it's the one constant, I would say, we've been doing this, what, 20 years almost now. And um, throughout that time, technologies change, frameworks change and evolve. Brow- the browsers changed tremendously. And the problems have changed. But, this, but the problems don't go away. And I think that's what's interesting is that um, I think we mentioned last week, like this team now, we're trying to get this thing across the finish line. And we've got uh, nine uh, full-time developers on this project that you're, that you're leading. So it's a huge crew, a lot of moving parts, a lot of work. Um, but yeah, it's been a challenge just because you get comfortable on a particular thing. And so the last six months, I was working more middle tier in a traditional environment. And this is using some newer technology. So not all things are working well. And then to add a little more on top of that, I'm doing it all on my Mac instead of my windows machine. And so just shit doesn't work like it's supposed to.
0: That has created a little bit of complexity, but I, you know, I think that's fine. I think it's something that we should be working through anyway, because the idea of the whole product is to be able to be cross platform. No problem. Um, so it is interesting that we are running into some of those issues. We don't have anybody here working on a Mac aside from you. So you are kind of a uh, guinea pig in terms of that. Yep. Um, so you are running into your fair share of issues that are a little bit unfortunate and, and giving you some frustration, but generally, to your point, like we have nine people working on the project and like, it's all I can do to keep everybody busy, keep everybody unblocked. Like it's, it's definitely kept me busy. I I don't get my hands on the code all that often anymore, but that's okay. Um, it's, it's a really exciting time. we got a lot of people that are kind of really heavy go-getters and I definitely, like I said, appreciate the energy and it's, uh, it's really exciting.
1: It's a fun environment to be in. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. When you get to be a team of that size, then all of a sudden um, the, the dynamic shifts because so much of what we've done in the past has been siloed or there's like one or two people working on something. Even if you're on the same project, usually like one guy's working on the back end piece, you're working on the front end, so you tag team stuff that way. But this is the, a true uh, atmosphere where you're, like you're all in the same space, kind of doing the same type of stuff. And so it's a fun, exciting thing. Um, so I've enjoyed that. It's the largest team I've ever worked on in my career.
0: I think it's the largest team we've ever had. What was there that I'm aware of, at least in the tech department?
1: It is, yeah, for sure. For sure in the tech department. And then if you add in PMs and that sort of thing, I think we're, what, like around 12 people. So it's
0: (laughs) three quarters of the tech team. Which when I started was
1: probably the size of our tech team, to be honest with you. We didn't have many more people than that when I started five years ago. So uh, it's it's a net positive. It's a good thing. And this is just a temporary assignment to help get the project finished. But yeah, it's, it's always tough transitioning because, you know, you spend six months in the back end and then you got to go to a front end project. And so much has changed since six months ago. And, and I think that that's always the things are speeding up, not slowing down. And, and so it's a good thing because it keeps us sharpening the saw, so to speak. But, um, no dull moments. It's always, it's always interesting, and there's always troubleshooting, and it, this afternoon was a little frustrating, but, you know, it's, it's good stuff.
0: Good. As long as it's not me that's causing the frustration, then, then, I'm, then I'm doing my job, I guess. Right, so you gave me
1: a few beers over here. I feel pretty good right now.
0: Mike's about three beers in, so let's move on to the uh, next bit of show news here. Um, Ooh,
1: nice transition there. Just a, qu- <laughs>
0: uh, just a quick note. Uh, we are working with the TuneIn folks, the folks at TuneIn Radio. Uh, our feed is broken currently. What's going so on over there? Are they we ha- I had them update. a ransom or something. <laughs> I had them update the artwork uh, and some of the information for the show, um, and it seems that they broke the feed. So if you look at if you look at TuneIn Radio, and if that's where you uh, consume the podcast, you're gonna have to find something else for the time being. Uh, I do have an email in for them to correct the problem, but who knows when they're gonna get to that? So right? Yeah. Just a heads up on that. So, uh, on to some follow up, huh? Uh, last week. We talked a little bit about a monitor. You had a great idea. This was a
1: couple of weeks ago, actually. I uh, had a good idea for, we were talking about chargers. We talked about the Apple Power Mat, how that was, uh, they killed that project. And I thought it would be a really cool idea if they had a Qi charger built into the base of a monitor.
0: Right. And we were going to patent that. We were going to make a million bucks.
1: Yeah. I was getting ready to put my fucking two weeks in, man. And... uh <laughs> Then you told me to hold off. Un-
0: unsurprisingly, Dell has already beat us to the punch. <laughs> Get out of
1: here, dude. <laughs> Fucking Michael Dell, that son of a bitch. So
0: you can already order these things from uh, from Dell. So if uh, you're interested in cheat charging on your wireless stand.
1: I do have a Dell, actually. So or on your monitor stand. Yeah. What yeah, you for? could.
0: Uh, that's a good question. I don't have any information on that. I just have an article here regarding charging on the Dell. In this case, the U2417HJ mm-hmm. monitor. Okay. You can do it. It's a a support article. I I didn't find any monitors that actually had the ability. um,
1: Getting the stand is probably a little more difficult because they have their own proprietary mounting on the back. A lot of these things are VISA mounted if you want to hang them on a wall, right? There's like a VISA... Is that the
0: square, like with the four screws? That's kind of like the standard mount?
1: So, yeah, that would be like, I think that's Visa 100 or 200. There's a few different, 100, 200, 400, something along those lines. And there's different, they're different hole configurations on the back, but they're all for wall mounting. The stand would be a little different, so that's not as universal. But, um, yeah, I'll have to take a look at that and see. It would be nice to have one less accessory on the desk. I mean, I'm pretty lean right now but it'd be nice to have that and just drop your phone on there and there you go
0: but you better make sure that it fits with the monitor aesthetic that you have because you have a pretty you have a pretty nice looking
1: giving me a hard time here
0: well i mean you have a nice looking layout man i'm it's clean it's minimalistic i like it but you don't want to like knock your like you know feng shui going on there
1: that is a very high concern of mine so i would want to make sure that the aesthetic fit in first before i make any purchases
0: Hopefully, they have them in all kinds of different sizes and colors, and yeah, finishes
1: It is a good idea. I think its makes sense, uh particularly because everybody now has even apples caught up in the game and they have wireless charging, so why not yeah, but I do kind of like the angle. they don't have angles. they have an angle built in, is that an extra accessory you can get like oh
0: that? so instead of laying flat 'cause most of the most of the stands are flat, yeah, a flat base,, yep. so you'd want you would want some kind of like a propped up version okay. so that your phone would be looking at you, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. That would make sense, too.
1: Maybe that's our next angle. Maybe we go for that patent instead.
0: Then the next thing would be you could put your iPad on that thing. That would and be then you'd sweet. have a screen sitting underneath your screen. Yes. Yeah.
1: Have you seen those news? This is kind of reminding me of this, but the Samsung phones now that they have um, charging, like peer-to-peer charging?
0: Yes. So it's an output, right? So it can take an input yes. wireless charge, but it can also be an output. That's right. Um, yes. That is an interesting thing. Um, and I have seen some articles recently that say the next iPhone is going to be able to do that same exact thing.
1: I like the concept. It would be helpful if someone's down to nothing. Uh, well, you know, last week I had happy hour with my, uh, good friend Pat and his phone died at the end of the night. And so I got him an Uber to get out of, get out of there, but we could have done that. We could have just put the phones together for five minutes. He had enough charge to get what he needed to get out of there.
0: Right. Everybody carries around these gigantic battery bricks to recharge their phone whereas you actually carry one all the time yeah like your phone battery's capacity is pretty large so if you can help somebody out give them you know five percent charge or something like that off of yours that'd be fantastic yeah that makes sense yeah
1: kind of a cool thing i like that yeah nice dude well okay so that's some good follow-up
0: yeah we have one more bit of follow-up here and and i was a little bit concerned (coughs) As you
1: are. Like this is your main concern in life.
0: Well, the Tesla news was a little sparse this week. So I was a little Mm. concerned that, you know, my streak was going to be broken. Yeah. (laughs) Well, luckily Fair not. Yeah, exactly. There is some news. And it is follow up because we did talk about this. So a couple episodes ago you asked me what you do while you're charging your Tesla.
1: Did I ask you this? You did ask me that.
0: How drunk were you?
1: I don't know, I made mean, a couple beers maybe. <laughs> That's not really a whole lot.
0: No, me. you asked like, okay, where do they put where do they put these chargers? Are they in a place where you can do something or go out to eat or go to, you know, whatever?
1: Yeah, because you were saying that even with, well, there's new newer technologies out there, but in general, if you go to a supercharger station, it's about an hour or so.
0: It could be, depending upon the charge level. Yeah. So yeah. you might be there for a while. Right. Um so what they announced this week was that with the Tesla Supercharger 3s, which we've talked about previously, Um, there's going to be a couple of updates. One, one will be the speed of the charging. So number one, you won't have to be there as long. Nice. Um, number two will be that each of those chargers will provide its own free Wi-Fi access point. So now suddenly there's, yeah. So you can connect to that from your Tesla. Maybe it's already automatic connected. I'm not sure how they're going to engineer that. However, the, the interesting thing is that Elon tweeted this week that if you're in park, And you're at one of these things, if you're connected to Wi-Fi, it's going to allow you via the screen to be able to stream uh, online content. So, in other words, you could stream, in theory, Netflix or Amazon Prime or something like that. So, while you're sitting there, you have something to watch, something to do,
1: something to look at. This is a little bit like AirPlay technology.
0: Kind of. But the car itself has its own cellular, cellular connection, so it could connect.
1: Oh, you're not actually sending it over from your device. You're just able to... It unlocks this feature where you can put movies on. Yeah,
0: as long as you're in park. And you can, like I said, you can use their Wi-Fi that they have available too. Nice. So while you're charging, you have some kind of media to keep you entertained if you don't want to leave the car or whatever. So that's pretty exciting. I think that's a good idea. And as long as it's limited to only when the car's in park or only when it's charging or whatever, I think that's a good move.
1: It is funny on that note because there's videos out there now with the software release that came out recently where they're doing autonomous driving there was a guy on the east coast somewhere i think he was in new york city and he enabled autopilot to get him home you know from the freeway to whatever like city streets to his to his place and the whole time he's got his camera out just like filming the whole
0: thing (laughs) doing exactly what it tells you not to do yeah
1: please don't do that like please keep your hands on the wheel be prepared i'm like this guy's not paying attention to shit like this car doesn't know what to do it's going to be another you know story on on twitter the next morning
0: speaking of we did get a new update um that enables it this was already available like lane changing via the the, the car la- changing lanes on its own was already available but they did enable the ability now that you can turn a turn a toggle and basically it'll change lanes on its own mm. so not only will it drive down the highway and maintain distance but if it decides it wants to go around a car it'll just go ahead and do it which is that's pretty crazy uh, i haven't used it yet so i don't really know what it w- how it feels or what it looks like, but there's been a number of people online, you know, online video reviews where they say it works perfectly. So very cool. One step closer.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. I uh, think that's great, man.
0: Yeah. Let's move ahead away from the Tesla news. Shall we? Let's move it along. All right. So we got a big topic here today. This is going to be probably the meat of the show.
1: Yeah, I hope so. I would like to talk about some of these things in a little more detail. A lot of times the topic, we don't have a lot of time to get into it. And so uh, I thought this was a great piece. I I get a lot of publications and newspapers and that sort of thing. And I recently subscribed to the MIT Technology Review, trying to get some other tech news other than where I normally source it from online. And um, this seemed like a good option. By the way, it's not available on News Plus, so if you're looking to get that on Apple for $9.99, better look elsewhere. But uh, so far, I've been really happy with this, and I got the first issue, and the topic of this is MIT's 10 Breakthrough Technologies. So this is an article that Bill Gates wrote for for the publication, and um, really kind of some cross-the-board stuff. I mean, you've got healthcare, energy... Um, agriculture climate change there's a lot of different I mean really all the current issues that we're facing right now and and technologies that are in progress or have already arrived that are being tested right now that could really dramatically change the landscape of any of those disciplines so I thought it was some fun stuff in here I was reading through this the other day and I said we should talk about this on the cast and and dive into it a little bit
0: yeah, when you put this on the notes and I started reading through it, it's uh, there's a lot of really interesting things. Some things that I already knew about that are pretty, you know, fairly obvious, and then some of them that are kind of way out there. And I was just like, wow, this could be like really, really game changing in terms of uh, the way the world works. So um, we'll go through these one by one by one. If you want to follow along, you can hit it up on https://www.technologyreview.com/lists/technologies/2019. slash slash That'll give you the same list that we're looking at. Um, and we'll go through these kind of one by one and start, start chatting about
1: them. Yeah. And before we get into it, just to preface it a little bit in the opening, uh, page or, or page and a half, you know, he starts talking about, um, the process of doing this article and what it made him think about. And, and he really made an important distinction between where we have been historically, um, with innovation and kind of the pivot that we've faced in, in modern times in the last 30 to 50 years. And so much of, he talks about the plow. And so like originally, like that was a big innovation, you know, whereas before it was all by hand and you could only go so fast and do so much. And then like the invention of the plow, like now all of a sudden you can do more, more seeds planted, more crops, more food for everybody. And so that was a huge innovation, right? And so much of it was about uh, really like quantity, like how can we squeeze more with the same amount of time? And um, up until very recently, like we've we've done a lot of that. We've really maximized efficiencies, and so we're not that we can't do more of that. But we've done a really nice job progressing along those lines. And now there's this shift of going from quantity to quality of life. And so he's talking about like, for example, life expectancy went from 34 years in 1913 uh, to 60 years in 1973, and 71 today. So I mean, we've more than doubled life expectancy within about 100 years, 105 years. And so now it's about quality of life. So what do you do for that? And so some of these topics really address how we can enhance that. So
0: So let's just go ahead and get started on the first one. So the first one uh, is just titled Robot Dexterity, which is fairly self-explanatory. What you see probably traditionally is you see like the, um, what is it? Is it Toshiba... Who's the, who's the robot manufacturer that you always see walking around?
1: Oh, there's the dactyls, the one that I'm thinking of, right?
0: Uh, there's a... The upright one that, that you always see like in the demo is like, oh, he'll be jumping over something or he'll be walking straight or whatever. Looks like,
1: like, looks like an animal or some kind of like it's four legged.
0: Yeah. Something. So you, you see a lot of these things and like, yeah, they're cool. They can walk. They can jump over an obstacle or whatever. Like they can do kind of some basic things which is cool and we're making progress and every day they're getting a little bit better. But like once you throw like something that it doesn't expect into the mix, like suddenly they fall over. Or in this case, they kind of use more of like the, the factory assembly line example, right? They they talk about, well, you know, in a car assembly line, a robot can do a precision thing like many, many, many times over.
1: Move this from A to B yeah. and hold it here and let, you know, something else will screw it in or something.
0: And like that. as long as that car or whatever it is working on is in the exact position that it's supposed to be in great everything works fantastic right yes
1: move move it a half an inch or change the part or or any variable that's in that whole equation and the thing there's no intelligence behind it it's just doing what's programmed to do turn here grab this and move it 90 degrees
0: right so i think what this what this guy is talking about is basically that in the next, well, these are both, these are all for 2019, right? Wasn't that part of the- this?
1: This one's pretty soon. This is a few years out, but it's like three to five, uh, not too far away. But there's been some good progress made with with AI and other technologies to make it smart. And so, they, yeah, they had they had the demonstration that they were talking about was, was with robot dexterity. And so um, they have a robot that, you know, taught itself to flip a toy block in its fingers. And that's a really difficult problem to solve. Um, and they kind of hacked it. They had a hacky way of doing this where they, like, you know, let AI kind of come in and account for the imperfection of, of what it was doing. So it's not just trying to follow instructions now, but there's some variability there that it can learn from. And it was able to figure out how to manipulate this thing in in ways that it before would have just dropped the thing, and, and that's it.
0: Which is, in and that that's an interesting example because, like, there's so many things that could go wrong as you flip something through your fingers, right? Like the, the way that the thing is angled, the way that it falls, the gravity that affects it, how it comes off your finger. I mean, there's a million different scenarios that it has to learn and be able to understand. And so I think that's going to be a common thread through a lot of these things is kind of AI and machine learning are going to be a common theme. Uh, but yeah, I think the they're coming along and, and they're try, they're getting these things figured out slowly but surely. It's just a matter of, can they put them all together end to end? Like they can make them do all these like one-off things, right? Like, oh, now I can make this robot stand up and avoid obstacles. Oh, now I can make this robot flip a a coin in its its hand or a block in its hand, right? But can it learn to do these things like more than just like this one stupid trick, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Think about Amazon warehouses and how fun it is to work in one of those places. If you talk to people that are in there in that environment and the heat and everything else and, and just the... It's just a very physical job and and not a lot of breaks and not a lot of pay. Um, This is a a task that a robot traditionally has been very poor at because it requires some thought. I mean, it's it's not a lot, but some, like, go to this location, grab this. Oh, it's over on the right side a little bit. It's not quite where I thought it was. And so they they have an example of, of this robot now that can go and fetch items from a pallet. And they're not in any particular order, it's just within a kind of a general area, and then it can grab the box, move it over, and put it on an assembly line or put it on a chute to get delivered to some other, you know, station for delivery or something like that.
0: And that's where it's important is where it can determine things that are not what it expects. Because, like, it, mm-hmm. obviously robots are very good at doing the same tedious task over and over and over again with no, you know, they don't they don't wear out, they don't have... You know, they don't have to take a break or whatever, right? They can do the same thing as long as it's the same precise movement all the time. But once you give it anything that's out of the realm of what it expects, now it fails. So if a robot can now learn and understand like, oh, my world is not perfect anymore. Now you've opened up the world to, to just crazy, crazy things. Like if you can suddenly like not have to have everything be precise, be like within a millimeter precision. Right in the, the the robot can just kind of walk up to its environment and say, Oh, I know what to do. Here's this thing that I have to complete. Uh, I can complete it and not have to be in some precise measured.
1: Well, I think a little bit about one of my favorite jobs that I've ever had. I've I've talked about this is like when I worked at UPS and I was a hub sorter there back in the early two thousands. It was a cool job. So I was in one of the distribution centers, uh, in Omaha at the time. And, A lot of automation. I mean, they kind of pioneered automation before Amazon was doing anything uh, on their own with the robots. Like, these guys really had some cool stuff. They had, remember, they had a thing for, we called the smaller envelopes and packages smalls. And so, for the smalls area, like, they had a whole floor where they had the leapfrog. And so, like, you'd have an envelope that comes through a conveyor. And then there's a bunch of lasers that scan the the label on the, the envelope. And let's say it's going to New Jersey. So, it goes down a row and there's, it's on a little tray. And there's, like, 50 bags on the left side of this conveyor and 50 bags on the right side of this conveyor. And they're all going to different locations. And so the, the scanner knows it's going to New Jersey and it knows it needs to go to bag 37 or whatever. So when it gets to that point, it shoots air up on the tray. The tray flips up and knocks the envelope into the bag. That's kind of the traditional automation, right? The robot can pump air and or, or whatever. Like, we can automate that. But um, with this type of technology that's being developed, now you could take over some of the jobs that, that we had on the hub sort line, which basically like when trucks are being unloaded, um, they're throwing, you know, tens or hundreds of packages onto a conveyor and it's kind of going down a row and the hub sorters in really rapid time. I think our quota was something like one package every two seconds or two packages, every three seconds, something along. That. I don't remember exactly now. It's been a long time, but behind us were 12 different chutes. And we had to know, like, oh, top left, like, that's California. Like, bottom right is, like, you know, Kansas City, Kansas. And, I mean, it would be very weird. Like, you had to take a whole, like, you had to memorize zip codes and know which one of the shoots based on the zip code. Oh, if it's 958, it goes over here. So that's the kind of thing that this technology could replace where in rapid fire it could see the zip code or even know ahead of time from the scanner, like, where it's going, grab it and dump it down a chute. And so you could expedite delivery of packages and sorting and that sort of thing.
0: Right, because as it comes down the chute, there's no perfection, right? Like, there's nothing that it can, like, specifically say, like, oh, at this particular exact spot, um, it can expect, like, a barcode. Yeah. Right? It could be jumbled. They could be turned. You know, who knows? Yeah. So it can adapt to that and and solve for that problem. So, yeah, very powerful, very exciting. Um, And, again, I think this is going to be the common theme is, like, machine learning and AI is going to just be pervasive in robots, for that matter, right? Cool stuff.
1: Well, we had a lot of fun with that one. That kind of went long, but we can keep moving on here, yeah? I don't know. Maybe it didn't run long. We're doing great.
0: We're wonderful. (laughs) Let's move on. All right. New wave nuclear power. Number two. Number Number two.
1: So, yeah. Why don't you kick us one
0: off? So, this one is basically dealing with a new type of, more, more or less, what is it? Nuclear fission.
1: Yeah, there are two types. I don't understand this very well, but there's fission and fusion. And from what I know, fission is... There's more innovation happening right now in the fission space, and fusion is still a harder problem to solve.
0: Yeah, so as I understand this, it's basically they're creating smaller they're, they're creating smaller reactors that, that are basically not able to melt down in the traditional way that you would think of nuclear power. So much, much, much safer um, and can cr- create uh, incredible amounts of energy compared to what a traditional nuclear reactor as we know them today can produce right so i think it's something on the magnitude of like what 10 times
1: well i i don't know about that i thought it was the other way because they're talking oh, other small, way small reactors i thought okay because the traditional reactors are like a thousand megawatts and then you have all kinds of issues with like meltdowns and scary shit happens but um but i know that this and maybe i missed this somewhere but i know that like some of the smaller ones they're working on are like tens of megawatts and so at that point You know, it's like these are miniaturized reactors, and there's really a low financial, low safety risk because there's just not the same magnitude of stuff of radiation that could get out.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I I misread. It was the other way around. So they makes they're much smaller, uh, produce obviously much less power. Um, Yeah, tens of megawatts, whereas a, a traditional nuclear reactor is is what thousand megawatts, something like that.
1: But they're getting ready to put some of these things into the grid. There are a few companies out there, uh, like Terrestrial Energy, TerraPower, a few others, and they're working on putting this type of energy into the grid as early as next year.
0: And the other thing too that's that's important about these is they don't create high-level nuclear waste that has to be stored, which is a big problem now. Like you have to put you have to take the the, the spent rods, right, and you have to store them underground, probably in some bunker for what hundreds of years, I think, or thousands of years. I can't remember exactly what the, the lifespan on one of those is, but it's it's an absurd amount of time. There's
1: a facility in Colorado that's in the, buried deep in a mountain. That's where they put a lot of this nuclear waste yep. because it's so impenetrable that the radiation can't seep out at that point.
0: Yeah. So the good thing about this is that the public is expected to not have any kind of, you know, resistance to it because there's not, it doesn't have a lot of the downsides that a traditional nuclear reactor might have. So, Could be a very adoptable technology but it's also you know this one says that this could be like a breakthrough in 2019 uh it also does say that nobody expects it potentially before like 2030 so i think like maybe the ability to make these reactors could happen potentially this year like they could have that breakthrough but apparently this has also been something that like is perpetually always like right on the horizon like oh we're almost there oh we're almost there we're almost there right and they just haven't ever make it haven't ever made it. But apparently they're very close. Um if they do get it working, then, you know, they could put it out. Get it in the yep. in the stream and, and maybe by twenty thirty we could be utilizing uh nuclear fission, right?
1: I think this is very interesting. I was doing some uh YouTube, you know, casual YouTube watching the other day and I wasn't as working. you do. I got through all the chiropractor back cracking going on and uh I thought it was kinda neat. They were talking about the Cold War and how uh, post-World War II during that time, uh, the race to nuclear, right, was, was, was huge. And so the U.S. was at the forefront of that technology with, like, the, the, you know, the atomic bomb, and then they started looking at other ways that they could develop nuclear-powered technologies. And so I didn't realize this, but in 1955, they were doing a lot of experiments up in the Northwest, in Idaho even, around um, nuclear-powered airplanes, I had never heard of this before, but they had taken and retrofitted some aircraft and they were doing it for a few years, like 55 to 59 or something like that. They were just testing facets of the technology. They didn't actually have a like a nuclear powered plane, but they were trying to measure the amount of radiation leak and all that stuff. Like how would they do it and actually managed to get an aircraft into uh, some test flights that was, was nuclear powered. They discontinued it because there were a lot of problems and it was imperfect. And I think there was even a lot of radiation that was still spewing out of
0: it. And a risk of crashing. <laughs> yeah.
1: There were a lot of concerns. It was a crazy idea. But a lot of this technology was born out of that at that time. And so it was very interesting. Like You think about this being a, a, new, uh, a lot of new innovations, but this is stuff that's been going on now for 70 years or more. And uh, we've really learned how to harness that and perfect it over time.
0: And here's going to be another common theme of these items through this list is miniaturization, right? Miniaturization and localization. So like now you can take these little miniature power plants and put them in many other small local areas versus like a very massive scale plant that serves a very wide area, right? So that's going to be kind of another common thread that you see throughout throughout a lot of these items. But it also applies to this particular item where like now now you're creating more of a local version.
1: That's right. Yeah, it's like we were talking earlier today, I think we were just kicking around some ideas, but how we went from being uh, a grid or being centralized, your, your energy, your grid system is centralized and power and um, uh, energy. And now you have this decentralization where you've got battery technology and nuclear technology, so you don't have to rely on a central grid. Internet even, in a lot of ways, is becoming decentralized. We talked a couple weeks back about that SpaceX project and Amazon jumping on that bandwagon to create like what 3,000 satellites to provide global satellite internet. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's taking on a new level of sophistication, but we're getting uh, smaller and we're getting decentralized to where it's really harder to break this thing, bring this thing down.
0: Right. Which is important. Like uh, another thing that we're going to talk about here is population growth. But as the population grows, there needs to be more of these like small centralized things. Whereas like, yeah, you can't, you can't, attack one one portion of the grid and like the whole thing collapses like we need yeah we need to have this more localization more localized uh uh, communities if you will that have uh self-sufficient they're independent on their own uh, uh independent of the large grid like you talked about
1: exactly cool stuff
0: man yeah well let's move on to the next one
1: number three is predicting preemies this is a healthcare one this is really interesting man so um this is And this, this has like overtones of Theranos for me because it's Theranos is on the brain. I've been watching, you know, um, Elizabeth Holmes documentary and 2020 stuff, but, but this is legit. (laughs) Suppose this should be legit. So (laughs) check your sources. Um, But yeah, like uh, the idea here being that, well, first of all, 15 million babies born prematurely every year and it's the leading cause of death for children under age five. Of course, measles will probably be making a resurgence now.
0: Oh boy. Anti-vaxxers. Um,
1: anti-vaxxers. Get your kids vaxxed. Vax them. I might lose a few people for that. Uh-oh. Um, this is very cool. So this is, a, this is a, around blood testing. And so there's new methods out there for simple blood tests to predict if a pregnant woman is at risk of giving birth prematurely.
0: This is crazy. So this reminds me a lot of, like, I remember hearing, like, many years ago where, like, they were able to take and test, like, I don't know, various cancer cells or something like that or human cells or something like that and like reverse them, reverse course and like basically make them attack other cells or something like that. Or maybe it right, wasn't yes. even cancer. Maybe it was, I don't know, but whatever. It was just crazy. Like this is like, they're basically taking non, what was the deal? It's like non-blood cells. They're like kind of like waste cells, right?
1: Well, this, yeah, this is like what genetic mutations that it's looking for here. <clears throat> and um, it's a quick, cheap, $10 assessment that you can do. I mean, this is kind of crazy too. It's, it's really accessible. It's looking for defects like in the DNA, uh, um, key indicators they found that are in premature preterm birth.
0: Pre, uh, from the, from the mother, I believe too. Yes, right. That's right. Um, and they're, they're, it's not like, it's not, uh, living cells. It's what, what do they call it? Uh, RNA, I think is what they call it. Um, and that, that's what they're looking for. Right.
1: Well, that regulates, yeah, regulates gene expression, how much of a protein is produced from a gene.
0: Yeah. And so through that, they can detect uh, indicators for premature birth and start taking action quite early to like prevent or to slow down how quickly the baby will uh, be born.
1: Yeah. And they can, there are preventative measures they can take to uh, try to slow that process down to keep the baby in, you know, in longer and um, give the child a better chance to live.
0: I think that's huge. That's a, that's a big deal. Um, and yeah, I didn't realize I didn't, I didn't, I missed the $10, uh, for the test. Like that's, that's a no brainer. Why wouldn't you do it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be just a routine procedure that I imagine you'd go through at that point. Everybody would do that. It's about five years away, so it's not, uh, readily available yet, but it's close.
0: It's in a startup phase. So I would assume there's got to be some more testing and more regulatory approval and all that kind of thing. I'm sure. Definitely on the cusp of something there. I think that's good.
1: Awesome stuff. Isn't man.
0: the United States like the, the leading, uh, the leader in like baby deaths?
1: No way, really.
0: I <laughs> thought it was something. There, there's some pretty bad stats about stuff like that where the United States leads some pretty some pretty bad categories where you would think that we would be doing pretty well.
1: Yeah, healthcare is fat zero.
0: <laughs> yeah, that'd be one of them. Well, this would be related to healthcare. So National there you go. Debt. Yeah, fucking national m- debt.
1: Negative ten trillion.
0: Yeah, we'll pay that back. No chump problem. change,
1: man. Yeah, chump change. It's my old boss used to say, "Chump change."
0: All right, well, let's move on to the next one. So the next one is um, another miniaturization item.
1: Yeah, this thing looks cool, man. They got some wacky photo on
0: here. <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh, basically taking a miniaturized pill that contains a camera. Yeah, that would travel through your gut.
1: That's right. Gut probe in a pill, it's so-called. And it's actually testing in
0: infants uh, this year. Right. So it's swallowable. They
1: don't test in rats anymore. They're testing infants, I guess, Now Go straight to the source, man. Kind of the new thing now. Yeah. Okay.
0: So basically it doesn't require anesthesia. Uh, just a swallowable pill. That'll pass through, right? Just like anything else. Right, exactly. Um, and take photos as it goes through. So, um, yeah, like you said, used in children, used in anybody.
1: It's um, it's not just a pill, though. It's, like, tethered, so it actually has a little string attached, and there's, like, little miniature microscopes inside this device that can, uh, you know, send images to to a console with a monitor so you can see what's going on. And, uh, yeah, this thing's it's really cool. Uh, you can image the entire surface of the digestive tract at the resolution of a single cell. So it's not just a camera. I mean, this thing is a high-resolution device. It's like a microscope absolutely right multiples they say in here
0: yeah and so it has the ability to screen for some types of cancers as it goes down like right esophageal, esophageal is that how you say? esophageal cancer mm-hmm. um and other things so i mean it, it has a number of different uses that can be utilized for um infant testing is planned for next year no this year this year this already, year yeah later so it's already year. being utilized
1: yes that's right right around the corner which is happening today right now it could be happening right now somewhere in boston
0: (laughs) somebody's swallowing one of these little cameras
1: well they talk about this other thing too i'd never heard of this before eed they say is environmental enteric dysfunction is one of the causiest diseases i've never heard of this before i had never heard of this either what is it i don't know it's uh eed man (laughs) (laughs) but this is one of the um solutions for detecting that as well like this is something that they can do to to um, it's I guess it's more widespread in poor countries and it has to deal with, um, you know, malnourishment and that sort of thing. But uh, not really sure what the cause is or how it can be prevented or treated, but th- this will provide some additional research. They can see things that they probably previously couldn't see before. So
0: it Yeah, nice it sounds like to. EED is one of those things that nobody really knows what causes it. Uh, it says it's a rare chronic skin disorder characterized by skin nodules. Uh, and apparently I apparently have to click for more information, but... There you go. Send us your email address and we'll add you to our uh, newsletter. There you go. All right, so continuing on in the healthcare vein, so that's three in a row here.
1: Oh, hang on a second. Uh-oh. I got I to address this. this right here. Dave Lester, still working, no time for a quick mug? Oh, man.
0: Well, let me get you a mug here right now. There you go, buddy. Actually, there's a real one here. I think you need another.
1: Thank you. I'm telling him right now. I thought you were a regular podcast listener.
0: He's supposed to be our biggest fan, right?
1: That's what he told me. He said he was a big fan. Hmm. Listened to all the episodes. Oh, boy. He feels really bad now, I think.
0: Maybe you got to do something here, and and maybe at Fuel, we need to get the cast, live broadcast. (laughs) He doesn't. At Fuel. (laughs) Uh,
1: That would be a huge distraction and a waste of time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That would... would, (laughs) I think that'd be super fun, but uh, but no, if I did that, then nothing would get done. It would be fun to do something like this. We talked about having that at the office before, right? Like having, you know, uh, co-workers and people that were interested in how we do this thing, like, come on. Uh, yeah. Over and watch. and, and Have watch. a
0: live studio audience, kind of speak.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, oh, he's still texting me now. Like, no no consideration. That this, is, <laughs> this is live. He's like, oh, well, maybe we can hang out later. What's hey. going on? I told you I was busy tonight. So, yeah, I don't know. It'd be fun to do something like that. It'd be fun to do a live deal. And I uh, maybe one day if we we have aspirations, right? We have aspirations. I'll leave it at that. And if we did go out into the other part of the company meeting space and changed our location and got some video cameras. Sky's the limit, buddy. Whatever we want to do, we can do it.
0: That's right. So let's move on to the next item here, uh, custom cancer vaccines. So This, this thing's ridiculous, This man. is crazy. So this one, uh, it's kind of what I was describing earlier, but a little bit more uh, specific. So they're basically creating a vaccine that's custom to your particular type of cancer. That's right. The Cancer genes or whatever you want to say that are applicable to your type of cancer. And it, it basically is attacking only those particular cells. That's it's right. It's, it's taking your immunity, your immune system... And using your immune system to attack those cancer cells.
1: Yeah. Traditional uh, therapies, right, involve involve uh, more general radiation type therapy.
0: Which kills everything.
1: Yeah. Good and bad. And that's why you have like hair loss and all kinds of other horrible side effects that come from that.
0: And why you're tired all the time because like basically your it's, immune yeah, it's killing everything.
1: Yeah. Th- this is very targeted just to the cancer cells itself. And so... Uh, the whole process is pretty simple, but extremely complex, right? I mean, they they biopsy the tumor, they'll analyze and sequence the DNA and they will take that information and very quickly create a vaccine that will, um, be delivered back to the hospital. Boom. Administer that to you, uh, you know, multiple treatments and then, um, time is of the essence. That's kind of the key. They gotta do it quickly.
0: Right. So this is uh, a trial already, right? Um, yeah. And, a- and they're trying to expand, it, it looks like. So they've, they're trying to work with 10, 10 different types of cancers. That's right. Uh, and they're trying to enroll an additional 560 people uh, around the globe to try and uh, to participate in the studies of this uh, particular vaccine. And there's a couple different companies that are producing these things. So like you said, it's, it's a time-critical thing. It has to be to the hospital... In, in 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 you know, promptly.
1: They don't say, yeah, they don't specify with detail, like you know, is it hours or days? But it would be very, yeah, I would imagine it would have to be very quickly because these things rapidly multiply. They're you know they're um, exponential. So yeah.
0: So this is very promising, right? Cancer is obviously obviously a huge uh, contributor to deaths everywhere in the world. So um, everybody's been. Everybody's dealt with a cancer death, I think. Probably, if you haven't, you're extraordinarily lucky.
1: It's very common.
0: Yeah. So having a vaccine, uh, even the beginnings of a vaccine, even even like the possibility is is something huge uh, on the horizon. That's not something that has ever been like even close to being a possibility. Like they've had some they've had some ideas where like they can do some targeted things where yeah, it'll kill like everything in a in a given area. Or, you know, it might even, you might, they might even have something similar to this where they, where they kind of mutate something and it goes in and it kills a lot more than just the the cancer. But uh, they've never had it where it specifically is able to target some kind of uh, uh, antibody in the, in the, in the, in the body.
1: You remember, um, this is bringing me back a little ways now, but when we were at the Nebraska Medical Center back in early 2000s, mid 2000s, 2000, like 2005. They, I don't remember the technology now, but they had something along those lines What you're discu- describing where they could target. They, it was a laser. Oh. I can't remember the name of it now. Like some kind of laser guided.
0: I remember it being a big deal. Like it had a specific name. Like they had some product name for it.
1: Yeah, there was a whole product name behind it. And what they would do is, I mean, they kind of like would get the telemetry of like where these cancer cells were in your body and take very precise measurements. And then this laser would go in. It was like some kind of beam radiation or beam there. I can't remember now, but yeah, I mean, it was still the same idea. Like you're killing whatever it comes into contact with, but it would be very precise and just like isolate a very small area uh, of your cells.
0: Yeah. The damage was minimalized. I remember that. And and it was basically because it, yeah, it could, it could shoot the radiation in like such a precise pattern that it could alleviate uh, damaging surrounding tissue at least as much as possible.
1: So you look at it like from a calculus, like this is just a very narrow, like a very small, um, you know, radiation, like a micro size radiation. But this, this, the vaccine thing is very interesting here. And a lot of this is just, be, it's come out of the Human Genome Project, which in what, 2008. So, like five, yeah, five years after that was, com- what they say? It began to take shape in 2008, five years after that genome project was completed. And then they had the first sequence of a cancerous tumor cell. So, once they identify what that looked like, now they're able to be very precise about what they're attacking. So, big advancement.
0: And, and and not to attack it with some third party foreign object, to attack it with your own body, which yeah. I think is important. Your own immune system is Good. doing the doing the correction of the cancer cells, which is I think that's probably the best thing you could possibly ask for is that your own body is destroying the things that are that are poisoning you. Huge. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to the next thing. I think you're very excited about this. Oh, dude, I get excited about this stuff. Oh, man. We've
1: talked about this already on the show at least one time, probably a oh. couple times. Oh, boy. I could go for a burger right now, too. Oh. Not really. Burger been, place right across the street. We just can make that kidding, happen. dude. I've been eating some teriyaki all fucking afternoon. I'm good.
0: <laughs> this is the cow-free burger. Yeah,
1: cow-free burger. So, um... We've talked about Impossible Foods a, a lot in the last few weeks because I just think this is phenomenal. I love it because the big news story on April 1st was that Burger King was going to be getting a deal with Impossible, to do an Impossible Whopper. So this is, uh, the, their particular methodology right now is, plant, is plant-based. So they're able to, they figured out, they've isolated proteins, proteins. Uh, that make meat taste like meat, like some of those qualities they've isolated those, those things and they've found a way to reproduce those in plants. And so what you get is a product that looks like meat, tastes like meat has nothing to do with meat. It doesn't have anything to do with cattle or livestock or the emissions or any of those things.
0: So idea here is that population of the world is booming, right? We're eating more meat than we've ever ate before. Yes. Uh, you can't sustain it. Like it's just not a sustainable practice. Um, and so in a way, in an effort to look for alternatives, we're, we're, we're looking to plants as a possible substitute, right? That's
1: the first step. The second step will be lab grown. And that's something that's a little further out. Um, not too far, a couple years um, next year, as soon as next year, possibly. They've got a way that they can just grow this in the lab. So you get to that kind of scale and that'll revolutionize everything bill gates is um an investor in impossible foods as well but go check it out i mean just go to youtube and and search impossible foods they've got some really cool demos of the plant the facility they'll walk you through the whole thing show you what they're doing this is huge and it's starting i mean it's it's obvious to me that it's when you start seeing um uh, fast food chains. And, and like we, we mentioned before, uh, white castle was one of the early adopters, red Robin. It's in all the red. Well, yeah, it's in all the red Robins now. And so, you know, it's kind of a side by side. It's a, it's a compliment to the menu. Like you can, if you're a vegetarian or you have other dietary restrictions, then you can get the impossible burger instead, but it's going to get to a point where you don't even have an option. I believe you're just going to have a burger and where it's sourced from doesn't fucking matter cuz it tastes like a burger.
0: Yeah. So some interesting stats and I'm just going to read here verbatim. It says depending upon the animal, producing a pound of meat protein with western industrial industrialized methods requires four to 25% more water, 6 to 17 times more land, and 6 to 20 times more fossil fuels than producing a pound of plant protein. So that's pretty huge. That's a, like just switching strictly to a plant protein product. is That's a huge difference.
1: Which is just the first step for these uh, these guys. Massive difference. And the content, the quality of, of the product is better. I don't want to say healthy because I don't know that burgers are really a healthy food item.
0: <laughs> Some people would argue that, I'm sure. Yeah,
1: but um, there's a, a significant reduction in fat content that you get from this while still maintaining flavor and uh, lower cholesterol.
0: So I think the thing to understand here too is like that that they are not prescribing that we should only go to a plant, what do you want to call it? A plant meat diet, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're basically saying like, look, people are not going to stop eating meat. That's not going to happen. Yeah. It's just never going to happen. So they're like, what we need to do is we need to supplement uh, as much as we possibly can with plant-based products uh, to quit destroying the planet in such a rapid fashion. So, right that's what they're trying to do here and, and keep it at the the closest possible uh, taste profile as, as they can. Cause like, I think we were talking a week or two ago, the Whopper product they're they're claiming that you won't be able to determine the difference, right?
1: Exactly. And, the, and there's a video on YouTube that goes through this whole thing. And I would recommend you watching it if you haven't already done so, but they do. They, the, this reporter goes out to St. Louis where they're trialing the Burger King Whopper and he goes and grabs one and, brings it back to the lab, and they do a comparison, and it looks the same. You put the whole thing together and take a bite out of it, and the consistency is the same. The texture is the same. So, yeah, for all intents and purposes, you're eating the same thing. And people that were in Burger King testing the quality control of the food could not easily discern the difference between the Impossible Whopper and the regular Whopper that they make.
0: And the meat patty, it says, would probably generate 90% less greenhouse gas emissions. That's the big one. That's huge. That's a massive. That's a big change. Yeah. Yeah
1: especially when we're talking about climate change and, and, and everything like that, like that such a contributor there is is all of the uh, methane and and the water for growing the feed and all of these things, right? Like the to go to have a, an instant 90% reduction just by switching over seems like a no-brainer to me. And I think it's something that most people would get behind because yeah, we, I don't think we necessarily, there was a study on this too. Like people don't, people care about the flavor profile the most. Right or wrong, it's the animal treatment is not the pri- primary reason why clearly people would get away from it. But, yeah, it's clearly the flavor. So if you can keep it the same and I can enjoy it the same, then people are not going to have a hard time switching over f- to this.
0: And I think we discussed this a little bit. Like, if you if if you were to just switch these out, if you were just to switch out the Impossible Burger and they didn't tell you and it tasted the exact same and you ate it, what the hell do you care? Why would I care?
1: Yeah. Why would I care? And we, we talked about this, too, but I— Unless I really want a Mexican Coke, do I really care if it's high fructose corn syrup or sugar? I'm not paying attention to the ingredients. I just like the taste, and so yeah. therefore I'll, I'll consume it.
0: If taste is what you're after, then then that does prove true. But once you, if you if you're kind of like eating healthy or trying to eat for a specific need, then it might be a little different story. But
1: right, correct. If you have dietary needs, that would be an issue. But right, um, very promising technology. Bill Gates investor in that. I I would love to. There's a chance that Impossible Foods will IPO this year, and I would say keep an eye out for that because I think they've already got a great program going, and this whole thing where they get off a plant-based into lab-grown meat is going to just take off like wildfire, that stock. I mean, that could be the next
0: big stock. Sure. Yeah, the next moonshot. Uh, So quick note on this that I I mentioned to you earlier, but um, the article mentions that what do they estimate? UN estimates that by 2050, the, the world population will be at about 9.8 billion, something like that.
1: And we said what? Right now it's about seven point seven. Six. Currently we're
0: almost at 7.7 billion.
1: So 2 billion more people in another 30 years. Yeah.
0: So that led me down kind of a, an interesting rabbit hole, and I'll link this in the show notes. But there's this thing called world meters, which I, which I looked up, and that's where I got the world population numbers And when you start to go through this, we talked about this a little bit. There's some really interesting demographic data on this website. Um, Not only does it list like births today and deaths today, uh, it tells you what the population growth just today was on the planet, what the population growth was for the year at this point. Same thing with births and deaths. Um, Gives you the largest population by country in a live metric view. So to give you an, uh, an example, what are we at? 328 million in the United States? Yep. Uh, versus uh, 1.4 billion in China to give you an example um, shows you the world population over time so you know every year so let's see what are we looking at here about uh, nineteen somewhere in about the what is this 1850 something like that the population just goes woo wow you know straight up um, whereas before it maintained a pretty flat consistency so what
1: we call hockey stick growth here yeah exactly. buddy yeah buddy Just like the dollar's rolling.
0: It's got the population growth rate percentage uh, as a a line chart. So luckily that one's starting to go down because it was really high for a while. Um, Just really fascinating statistics. I I recommend going and taking a look at it. Um, There's a whole lot of data there. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, So just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah,
1: this is good. Man, we're only 60% of the way through.
0: Oh, boy. We better get it moving.
1: We're about 90% out of our time.
0: (laughs) The next one. Goes hand in hand with our, uh, what the hell are we talking about? Uh, the gases, greenhouse, greenhouse gases, gases, emissions. Yeah. yeah.
1: This is number seven on our list. It's the carbon dioxide catcher. What do we got going on here, man?
0: Well, I don't know. We can soak up carbon dioxide from the air.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of, this is somewhat of a last ditch effort because we're ignoring this shit, you know, in any, every other way that we can try to cut back, but, um, the idea is that, you know, removing CO2 from the atmosphere uh, might be one of the last viable ways to um, slow this thing down. The unfortunate piece is it's not ready to go for another 5 or 10 years, so I don't know what that would look like. Massive pumps in the air that are sucking uh, sucking emissions out, and then you got to figure out what to do with those emissions once you capture them, too. So do you convert it into some kind of fuel or energy source, or what do you do from there?
0: That'd be the ideal possibility, but our good friend uh, Elon... Mr. Musk. Mr. Musk, if you will. Uh, Sir Musk.
1: Why doesn't he put these into each, each Tesla? Why don't we just have a carbon scoop on each Tesla? Just instead of having a pipe, a tailpipe, you know, just like sucks in carbon emissions and does something with that.
0: That'd be fantastic. Uh, for, from what he relayed, because he's talked about this in a couple of different uh, press conferences that he's done. The Once you've untapped carbon from the ground, it's incredibly expensive and difficult to re-harness it or re-contain it, hmm. which is what this article starts to talk about, right? Like it's incredibly expensive or at least traditionally they thought it was basically like by the ton to re-harness or re-grab carbon It's like a hundred
1: bucks a ton or something like
0: that. That's that's what this product would help with. Yeah. It was far more expensive than that. Uh, at least that's what they thought um, to pull it out of the atmosphere before. So it wasn't even an approach that they were considering because it was just too damn expensive. Whereas this now brings it down to $100 a ton, which maybe is a bit more of a, a possibility that they could potentially look at in terms of, of ways to fix the problem.
1: I'd say a lot of the focus that's happening right now and a lot of the legislation is around offsets. And I've got a little experience with this with some stuff I've done in the past and projects I've worked on, but um, a lot of that is about, you know, offsetting your emissions or paying for offsets so that whatever your consumption is, like you're paying in other things that could uh, capture that amount of carbon. Um, but I, I think uh, this is interesting because we need something at a little more rapid scale at the, at the rate we're going. And So um, this would be a very interesting technology that, that we really need quickly because these glaciers are falling off and all kinds of crazy shit's happening. And there's another bomb cyclone happening right now in the midwest today
0: (laughs) so the problem too like with what you were talking about to use it as another fuel source is like if you use it as another fuel source like it's just going to end up back in the atmosphere yet again and then you have to capture it yet again so you're perpetuating a vicious vicious cycle so really what you need to do is like capture it contain it and put it back kind of in the ground ideally like it was before we mined it or yeah refined it or whatever it is that we did to it to make it a usable product.
1: Well, and the deforestation is huge too. I mean, that's gotta be more systematic, right? Because like the carbon is captured by these trees and it's stored until it dies. But when the tree dies and it decomposes, that carbon gets released back out. And so you want to have some level of that. I mean, for the health of the system, but um, if it's not done properly, then you can have an imbalance there as well.
0: Yeah. So they talk about, again, same thing as we were talking about nuclear, like the, the, The answer so far has been to like bury this shit underground again, right? So build a big bunker, put it underground and just like, oh, we'll deal with it later type of mentality. So something we need to figure out. But this this seems promising. It seems to cheapen it um, and uh, would be a way to help out the planet, obviously. So um, it says we need to remove as much as 1 trillion tons of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere this century. So at $100 a ton. Do the math on that. Yeah. That's Who, a lot of math. Where's the pocketbook, Siri? Hey Siri, how much money do I got?
1: <laughs> What's one trillion times a hundred? Oh no, you're not. You're not listening at all. Okay, moving along. We got two minutes, Kyle. What else is left here? What do we got on this great ten technological breakthroughs? Oh well, I've lost
0: my page. Oh, we got an EK ECG on your wrist.
1: Yeah, heart health, heart health. This is huge. And Apple had a big announcement about this. With the uh release of their Apple Watch version, one hundred trillion. Gomer's always like Gomer is our resident uh statistician. He's been very active tonight. I apologize. I haven't been sharing the uh, his knowledge with us tonight, but he's awesome. Like you throw an equation out there, he is the Siri of the fucking cast. Look it up guy. One hundred trillion. Yeah. And he was talk we were talking earlier about um nuclear and he was mentioning like half-lives and that sort of thing. So I, I appreciate your input and sorry we didn't get you. We were trying to scramble to get all these 10 out here quickly, but uh, yeah. Thanks for being back again.
0: Well, we can move through this one fairly quickly because Apple has announced this in their, in their Apple watch where basically you can run a test on the Apple watch and it can detect anomalies uh, in heart rhythm, right? That's to, right. To, to basically find out if you have uh, larger problems that may lead to like heart attacks or strokes um, so they're basically saying that this is going to become a pretty common thing, right? That most people can have these on their wrists with no problems. Um, they're just going to become more, what's the word? You're gonna, ubiquitous. Yeah, there you go. That's what I was looking for.
1: That's right. Everybody's going to have one and, uh, can really save, save lives. The technology is getting better. This, this wristband that this, uh, a live core has developed. It's very interesting. It works with the Apple watch too.
0: Yeah. So I don't want to spend too much more time on that one because I want to spend a little bit of time on this next one, which again goes back to the localization and kind of miniaturization of things. Yes. And this is sanitization, sanitation without sewers. Huge. So being able to treat waste on the spot that it's created rather than sending it again to like a central treatment plant, you'd be treating it locally.
1: And laying the infrastructure, the pipes, the facilities. I mean, think about the mega infrastructures that most cities have and then uh, you, you have the situation now where like those things are time dated. And, and so you've got systems that dump into rivers and, and clean freshwater uh, streams and, and the pipes break. And so you've, you've got this maintenance problem and you've got this lots of problems that come from having this. This is a way that you can kind of decentralize that.
0: So here again, we talked about the population of the planet here. So 2.3 billion people. Don't have good sanitation.
1: So, like twenty percent.
0: So, we said again, the population here was almost seven point seven billion. Yeah, yeah, that's a shit ton that's of people. Twenty-five like percent or more. Yeah. So, obviously, uh, poor sanitation creates all kinds of problems. Uh, you know, parasites, diarrhea, cholera, all kinds of horrible different conditions. Death, obviously, is another one. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, basically bringing uh, smaller scale, local localized sanitation.
1: Few different systems out there. There are some that are um, still for uh, communities, small cities, yep. where you've got more of a container, um, shipping container type solution that that does it on a smaller scale than these large uh, wastewater treatment facilities currently do. And then there are some uh, interesting technologies that are even more portable than that, where it's just like within the toilet itself. Yeah. To filter that out.
0: So there's different types of prototypes that are that are mentioned here. One is like a toilet-sized looking uh, device that can filter out certain things. There's one that's more of like a shipping container size uh, that can kind of sanitize and take take care of things and output you know different different products like maybe compost or fertilizer or something like that. Um, but to your point, like you said, like some of them are are built for smaller amounts of scale. Some of them are built for more kind of communities, but they don't have this like very large concept for like you know, a Seattle sized city that they could just drop one of these things in Seattle and be like, Oh yeah, this will take, We're not care doing of- this for millions of people. Right. But, yeah.
1: But the amount of money and infrastructure costs that go into these systems, you could go to a, you know, sub Saharan Africa or other places that don't have any facilities and, and really have a significant impact on their daily
0: living. Right. So I think this is super important. I think this is huge for the world again as the population balloons, we need more of this. We need more smaller uh, areas, not, not connected to a centralized position uh, it just makes us more redundant, more uh, more safe, more whatever the word you want to look for is, but yeah.
1: More sanitized. Yeah.
0: More more cleanly.
1: Mm, I like that. Yeah. Last but not least, not a lot to say about this, but this is interesting too. This it's one's just, pretty obvious. You know, a, the improvement of AI assistance, right? We we know how it is now having Google or Siri or Alexa in the home. And I was just talking to Allie about this today because she says, is your Alexa as dumb as mine? and I ask it this thing and it doesn't understand. And it kind of repeats shit back to me. And I think, uh, you know, what they're talking about here is like just advancements that Google and well actually Alibaba too, Chinese um, influence on AI too. Uh, you're gonna see AI shift from just a kind of a one way, hey, ask, answer this question to more of a dialogue.
0: And the and the speech is gonna be more fluid, right? It's gonna be instead of like, I can answer, like Siri just answer answered you like, I'm sorry. I don't understand what you meant right now. Right. And then you got to
1: start over again.
0: Or, but I, I mean, it's going to sound much more natural. It's going to sound like an actual person talking to you versus yeah. like a robot. So it's, it's like, all going to uh, come together eventually. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So
1: I think that's cool. Uh, some of the earlier ones I think were more impactful. I mean, this is certainly fun stuff. I, I have one. I like it. But um, a lot of good stuff here in this episode. Wow. We barely packed it in. I thought we were going to have extra time. <laughs> we never do have extra. Why do I always think that? We never have extra time.
0: Well, you had a four beers tonight, so you were kind of Gabby. I got a lot to say. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, as always, the Coffee Code Cast is recorded from Seattle, Washington, every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Join us at www.coffeecodecast.com slash live. Our podcast artwork is provided by Yorne the Gentle Giant. Check out more of his Illustrative work at www.coffeecodecast.comslash gentle giant. If you have a question, want to reach out to us like Gomer did, thanks, Gomer. Hit us up on Slack or at Twitter at Coffee Codecast, or you can use the good old email at coffeecodecast at gmail.com. We're working on the tune in radio, but the podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. You can find more episodes and uh, everything else you want to read about the show at www.coffeecodecast.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And, uh, you know, if you want to do us a solid, let let somebody, let a friend know about us. Thanks for listening.